Hey, what's up, tribe? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the TFC Audio Project Down Under. This week, I chat with Rod Ventura from Movement Theory. Rod is an Adelaide-based physiotherapist who originally connected with us through a shared interest and respect for feet as our foundation for movement, which we discussed throughout the episode, along with the fascinating fascial connections that exist in the body, how they're relevant to pain and injury, and the value of combining manual and movement therapy with an empowering narrative and a holistic approach to health. This week's episode is brought to you by TFC Courses. Our brand new online workshop 2.0 launched last week and we are so grateful to everyone who's already signed up. After touring our feet balance and play workshop across Australia over the past 12 months, we wanted to turn it into a digital resource so that anyone who couldn't make it along to our in-person events could learn and play from home. If you've already completed the Foot Collective's Workshop 1.0, there is still plenty of value in our updated version. With more than three hours of content covering crucial theory on feet and footwear, balance, play, breath and ground living, plus simple ways to assess your function and restore your feet and lower bodies from the ground up. This course is designed for people of all ages and movement abilities, and we've even included some bonus training videos where James takes you through some guided routines to work on your feet, ankles, knees and hips. The course is just $42, and if you use the discount code 10OFF at checkout, you can save 10%. To check it out and use that code, head to the link in our show notes. All right, Rod, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, mate. Good to be here, man. It's uh, it's been a long time coming, but I'm looking forward to sitting down and having a good old yarn. Yeah, well, we, we connected through Instagram uh, a while back, probably around the start of 2020 from memory, um, thanks to your interest in feet and, and obviously just a, the holistic approach to the body. Um, so yeah, it's, it, like you said, it's, uh, it's been a long time coming. We, we haven't actually had a full in-depth conversation about it all, so I'm excited to, to dig deeper with you today. Yeah, man, for sure. Um, so yeah, usually I just get people to start with telling us a bit about yourself and who you are, what you do, why you do it. Um, we can just roll from there. Yeah. So, um, obviously my name is Rodrigo Ventura. Um, I'm the uh, owner and operator of Movement Theory, um, here in Glenelg, South Australia. Um, so I was actually born in a little country in Central America called El Salvador. So, um, small, uh, small country, um, wildly populated um and mum and dad decided to make the journey over to australia in 1989 so i was only about two and a half years old so only a young fella um basically to give my brother and i um a better better shot at life um because it is a bit bit corrupt over there and um Mm. you know things go on um as as you may or may not know um but yeah obviously the best decision they ever made and you know super grateful for you know having an opportunity to to be here in Australia and obviously, you know, judging by the last sort of 18 months, um, you know, the conditions that we've had here in Australia compared to the rest of the world has been been pretty pretty special and lucky, I suppose. So um, that's kind of where my journey started uh, moving to Australia. Um, but yeah, growing up, I sort of um, always played sport, um, played soccer since I was five or six years old. Um, and um, yeah, it came to probably 12 years old when I um, had my first sort of major injury. Um, sort of broke my leg um, at school. Um, right, I was, doing I was what? A go- I was a goalie. I was coming out, uh, slide tackle uh, the kid that was trying to score a goal and he's kicked my foot, bent my foot forward. And um, yeah, obviously uh, ended up yeah, rolling my ankle, I thought, pretty bad and um, ended up being a, 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 a hairline fracture in the fibula. Well, Technical difficulties. We'll we'll just keep rolling. But we got up to hearing about your how you broke your leg. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was at school um, playing soccer on my lunch break, and um, I was the goalie. I sort of slid out, um, and the, the attacker sort of came out and sort of kicked my foot, sort of bent, sort of down, um, sort of plantar flexion, sort of thing. And um, yeah, I thought I just rolled my ankle pretty bad, but. Um, scans revealed I fractured my fibula, so um, oh, I, I was in a I was in a bit of a back slab, I think, from memory. Um, and sort of the the earliest memories of physio were, you know, going in, um, getting some ultrasound, um, you know, getting you know getting the healing properties going. I suppose that's what I've been told at the time. Yeah. And um, <laughs> and yeah, you know, off I went, and I sort of said to myself, you know, wouldn't mind being a physio one day. This is pretty cool. <laughs> Um, and you know, I drive past the physio clinic every day on the way home from school and I thought, you know, this is what I want to do. Um, so, you know, I was, I was 
reasonably switched on at school, um, got some reasonable grades. Um, year 12, um, obviously the, the big final year, um, probably could have done a bit better to get straight into physio, but um, the sort of the entry score is pretty high here in, here in Adelaide. I'm not sure what it's like in the, the rest of the country, but yeah, um, yeah ended up um, going a bit of a back doorway, um, got into exercise science or human movement. Um, and um, yeah, did that and really enjoyed the course. Um, I love PE at school. Um, so it was basically like an extension of PE um, yeah. on, a, on a much higher level, obviously. Um, so loved all the prac and, you know, loved doing sort of Pytex Fizz and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I still had that goal to, to do physio um, and, you know, did everything I could to, to get into the master's program, which is a great entry program here in Adelaide. And um, yeah. Um, I was lucky enough to, to get in. Uh, I think it was 15 students that made it. So, um, right. yeah, pretty cut, pretty cutthroat. Yeah. yeah. So, so um, did all the neuroanatomy, did all the anatomy um, and yeah, made it through. So um, that was a two-year degree um, at sort of an accelerated rate. So they, they cover what's in the undergrad degree just over two years. Um, Jeez, so, that would have been intense. So, yeah, no rest for the wicked. Um, so um, I'm very lucky that I was living at home at the time with mum and dad. Um, yeah. They sort of said, you know, don't work. You know, we've we'll, we'll got you back, you know, getting oh, a bit of petrol money for the week and all that sort of stuff. Was oh, pretty cool. that's, that's handy. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, like I said, oh, it's mum and dad for, for getting me to where I am today. Um, and um, yeah, look, going through physio, I obviously loved it, but um, I probably didn't have that passion um, that I've got right now. Um, that's obviously developed over the years. Um, and um, yeah, first first job out of uni was um, working in aged care. Mm. Um, so, um, which was cool. I think it was what I needed at the time. Um, and, you know, working with the elderly population certainly developed a lot of, um, you know, some of my core skills, you know, communication, um, you know, with the elderly is obviously very different to how me and you communicate. Um, and, um, you know, just getting an appreciation of, you know, what some of these people have been through, um, you know, even through the war and all that sort of stuff. So you pick up a bit of wisdom, I think. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it, yeah. It's, uh, we were saying before I, I did a, um, stint in aged care as well. And, and the connections you make are, are really fascinating. Often it's the best part of the residence day when you come along and, and do, you know, your physio stuff with them and you know, go for a walk and things like that. And just, just that act of connecting with someone who doesn't get enough connection in their, in their days is, is really special, I think. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, you've hit the nail on the head there. That's probably the, the thing I enjoyed most about aged care. And probably the one thing that I, you know, probably missed when I sort of transitioned into sort of doing some MSK stuff is, is those connections that I had with them. But as you know, life goes on and, um, you know, I'm just grateful that I got the opportunity to, to do that um, whilst I could. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, obviously coming from, from the aged care stuff, I moved into a, um, actually a different role. So I was doing some consultancy work, um, with the company I was working for. Um, and they basically went around to aged care facilities and assess the um, level of funding they were getting from the government based on the care needs of the client. So, um, you know, everyone gets a level of funding based on their ADLs, um, mm. their behaviors and their complex healthcare needs. So, you know, if you've got, you know, little old Mavis who, you know, can't really walk around, um, you know, needs a lot of help with their showering and dressing, they might get a high level of funding. Um, or you might have, you know, John who's cruising around, pretty active, um, might have a little bit of pain, they might get lower level of funding. So we always audit the facility to make sure they get the right level of funding that they right. need. Um, yeah. but, but once again, you know, I was falling deeper into the stuff that I never thought I would do, um, being a physio, you know, I always thought I'd help people out, return from injury. And I was doing admin paperwork, managing yeah. stuff. So I was like, you know, what's the, what's the way out? And um, I was pretty blessed to be given the opportunity to, um, to practice out of a small space. Um, one of my um, friends from school um, was um, part owner of a gym here in Adelaide. Um, that's now actually called Soul 365. So one of the premier CrossFit gyms here. Um, but at the time, um, they had CrossFit Beach Mode. Um, down in um, Somerton Park and they said, hey, Rod, would you love to operate out of there? And I said, yeah, I would actually. It's just the, <laughs> it, came, it came at the right time because um, I was sort of soul searching a bit. Um, I'd started an MBA. 
Um, I was thinking, you know, is this is this what I'm going to do? Am I going to be doing admin? Am I going to be managing people? Mm. Um, and I said, and I was like, nah, I want to be a physio. Like, I, I want to do what, you know, what I've wanted to do since I was 12 years old. And um, and, that, and away I went. Um, but and obviously, how, came. how was that transition? Yeah, from from aged care and admin to the Musk side of things. <laughs> yeah, look, it was a it was a pretty daunting um i guess but i kind of just backed myself and thought you know i was doing some sports trainer work which you know is you know a level of msk um but working with you know high level issues um i needed to upskill myself pretty pretty quickly um so i just jumped on some online stuff um i came across a couple of courses early on um so we're talking before about um mkt or neurokinetic therapy um, so their approach to the body is more sort of applied kinesiology based. Um, and I thought, yeah, let's give this a go and let's start sort of treating clients this sort of way. Um, and sort of ran with that probably, you know, for, for a good six months, everyone was coming in, getting assessed, you know, NKT, bang, NKT. bang, bang. Yeah. Um, you know, that's all I talked about, lived and breathed it. I'm sure I dreamt <laughs> about it as well. Um, and, um, but in the background, you know, I was still, uh, pretty engaged in social media. I think social media has played a big part to where I am today. Mm, mm. Um, so, you know, I follow a lot of, um, you know, influential people, um, but that, you know, obviously push the boundaries with some of the physiotherapy stuff that they're doing. Um, came across Tom Myers and his anatomy train stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the, the next sort of step I took, um, you know, sort of didn't know much about fascia and, and the connective tissue um, or the web that he sort of calls it um, and, and even just the way that people manipulate this structure, um, you know, manually, I was intrigued. And I thought, you know, my manual therapy skills were pretty basic. Um, you know, uni covers, you know, not a whole lot. Um, I reckon we probably did a couple of weeks worth of, you know, effleurage and, you know, soft tissue massage. Yeah, a bit of, Ma- um, bit of Maitlands and, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's basic stuff and, you know, um, I've done some dry needling as well. So I've, I've added some of that and, um, you know, so I was the NKT, I was needling, I was doing a little bit of soft tissue work, but um, I sort of wanted to explore my manual therapy skills a little bit more um, because I was finding that, Clients responded pretty well short term to some soft tissue work, which then allowed them to obviously, um, you know, get back into some movement or, you know, improve their range of motion or be able to load better in a squat or something like that. Um, so I was sort of starting, starting to find my own feet. Yeah. Um, and I guess having um, my own business, you know, li- limits you a little bit because you don't really have a boss saying, Rod, like what you're doing is is no good. Um, yeah. but at the same time, I can seek out mentors and go, oh, I like what he does. I like what she does. I like what you know he does here. So I was kind of forming my own opinion on, on the physiotherapy industry um, and sort of almost trialing it with my clients as well. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. how is it – I guess I'm interested in how your – uh, journey and uh, an approach to movement has developed and obviously you know your business is called movement theory and so how you integrate movement with like you said the manual therapy stuff you're doing and and yeah what your approach is there yeah so um i stumbled across another course surprise surprise um ran by gary ward um so gary ward yep. um runs a course called anatomy in motion um, which is um, basically a movement-based approach to, to looking at the body um, and understanding that, you know, um, joints act and then muscles react to that. So, you know, a joint moves, but then a muscle follows that movement um, and gets loaded in a certain way. So that's his philosophy and it's the way that he teaches the course. Um, but that all starts from the feet. Yeah. So, you know, 33 bones and 26 joints of the foot um, all you know, need it, have a purpose and they, they should be moving with every step that we take. And the way that that loads up the rest of the body is the way that I started to view the body as a whole and not sort of just look at segments of, you know, the knee does one thing, the hip does one thing. It's like the whole body does one thing. Um, and that aligned with the anatomy trains mm. factual lines is how I started to sort of bring the two together. Um, so understanding that, you know, we have, different lines of movement, the front line, the back line, the spiral line. Um, and then I can actually start to, you know, assess clients' movement in, 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 in a static sense 
Um, so postural adaptations they might come in with, but then also get them to move and see where those restrictions in fascial tissue lie. Um, and then obviously then compound that with the anatomy and motion stuff with the joint, um, you know, starting at the foot. Um, yeah. So that's kind of how I started to integrate movement into my manual therapy as well, because I do fascial release to soften the fascia. Um, and then I do some anatomy in motion or just some, um, some movement um, along fascial lines to get people to understand where their restrictions are to, to be able to load better in whatever you know, activity they wanted to do. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, and most of the people that I chat to, or pretty much, well, everyone I chat to that's sort of in our circle or in our community or resonates with the stuff we do, um, if they're a therapist, is I always notice this trend of like, yes, manual therapy can be really helpful for opening up um, some range of motion and maybe making the system more receptive. But, and obviously also just, therapist client relationship and so on there's a, there's a lot of things that go into manual therapy that aren't just um you know prodding on something but uh the fact that that needs to be combined and followed up with movements that are actually relevant to to someone's condition or some something that they want to be able to functionally achieve because the manual yeah. therapy by itself like you said will get a, can have short-term results and there can be amazing results i've experienced some ridiculous results using manual therapy um mm. but they'll they'll always be short-term unless it's followed up with the right loading and, and movement and behaviors that i would say exactly right and then obviously it ties in with the client's goals as well so you know being being mindful of hey do you want to just get back to you know, gardening or, you know, playing with your kids or is it, you know, I want to improve my snatch PR or my cleaning jerk PR. So it's, you know, understanding what what actually do they need to do and what structures do they need to load as well. And then trying to break it down and not not make it too confusing because I think sometimes I see maybe physiotherapy can be a bit too confusing. Um, the, the way that I see it is the body is so resilient. You know, like mm. we are we are designed to move. So, mm. you know, I'm I'm very much against like telling a client don't move um it's maybe move with less load you know so if you're if you're um, having pain doing a front squat at 80 kilos but you can front squat at 40 kilos and it's not causing any issues then i'm i'm like go for that you know obviously yeah. you know clearing off red flags and stuff like that but um yeah it's all about keeping people moving keep people moving and get them moving in more in different ways basically and and yeah and it is really fascinating the fascial system, like uh, by the sounds of it, you've gotten gone deeper into it than I have. So I'd, I'd like to explore it a bit more, but just the general understanding that I think most people have and, and even is, has probably been taught at uni for the most part um, is, you know, the classic mechanical, you know, muscles move bones, uh, the muscle contracts and that acts as a lever around the joint and, and so on. But, you know, when you look at the connective tissue of the body, which is the fascia, um, you can see that a movement, a little movement at the foot will be directly influencing something that's happening, happening up in your head, for instance. And, and there is really no disconnections in the body. So, um, yeah, maybe let's explore fascia a little bit more and, and you know, what you've learned about it. And, and I mean, I'm sure you probably, you could talk for hours, I imagine, um, because it's such a deep topic, but, what what do you reckon? What would be because I know a lot of people listening might not really be familiar with the concept of fascia and fascial lines and so on. So, is there like a a brief summary? Yeah, yeah. I'll um, you know, I'll, clients ask me this all the time. It's like, yeah. oh, what is this fascia thing? You know, you put out a post <laughs> about fascia, like it sounds pretty technical, but can you explain it to me in layman's terms? And essentially, it's it's a it's connective tissue. Um, but basically, if we were to lose our muscles and our skeletal structure there will be left a fascial structure. So you will have an imprint of a fascial system there as well. So mm -hmm. if we don't respect that, then I guess we're missing one of our other you know, systems there. Um, but fascia basically, the way that I describe it to my clients can basically restrict or limit movement depending on where you might have a limitation in, in the fascial you know, restriction. So for example, um, as you've just said, um, someone with plantar fasciitis um, might have some restriction in fascia 
through their cervical extensors, which is part of their superficial backline. So yeah. we might be able to manipulate that tissue, um, you know, soften that area, and all of a sudden, you know, plantar fasciitis is gone, um, mm -hmm. and vice versa. You know, so it's basically understanding that the fascial lines, and there's obviously a majority of them, got the spiral line, got the lateral line, um, the functional lines, the deep front line, the superficial back line, the superficial front line. All of these do cross over, but also putting people through different movements that will um, bias a certain line is also important for us to sort of work out, well, what, what line are we going to work on? What area of that line are we going to work on? Um, mm. But always, always working, um, you know, from an outside in look rather than, you know, honing in on that area, um, which I think is really important for, for everyone to understand that the fascial system is basically an area that we need to sort of look globally on and not sort of focus on one little area because you might have restrictions in that right hip that's causing that left shoulder to not have as much flexion. So um, it's just being sensitive to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's so important because most people intuitively get that, oh yeah, everything in in the body is connected. And they're like, you know, if you say that to someone, then it's, it's kind of obvious. It's like, where's the disconnection from your foot and your head? It's like, no, there's always some kind of connection. Um, but actually being able to understand that there is a literal, it's almost like a suit of, um, yeah, connective tissue around all our muscles um, and within the muscles and, and everything that's pulling on, yeah, like one muscle contracting will pull on the other side in a different area and along these lines, like you've been talking about. Um, it just, it may, especially if you see how those lines connect in diagrams, like in anatomy trains, um, then it just makes it a lot more visual. It gives you that visual imprint of like, wow, literally my big toe is connected to my neck. And, <laughs> and yeah, again, traditionally therapists have focused a lot on okay your hip hurts let's treat that hip let's get the hip moving well let's do exercises focused on the hip um and yeah sure you might need to do that but you also need to look at how the whole system is moving and, and integrating um otherwise you're, you're you're bound to you might get some results with just treating that hip but it's pr again it's likely to come back or another issue will pop up somewhere else in the system yeah, and it's that sort of tensegrity. I think that's probably maybe the word you uh, maybe looking for, or yeah. might have heard it in the in the in the literature. It's that tensegrity structure where everything is connected to everything. But also, it's like when you do fascia work, and and I run these um, sort of three series sessions that I do um, with some of my clients, and we'll look at sort of um, balancing the lower part of the body first, then maybe going to the to the trunk or torso, and then finishing off with the head, neck, and jaw it's almost like unraveling layers of an onion because yeah. you might actually unravel some restrictions in one area, but then that might actually um, open up another area that has been maybe not freed up or has been holding on because of the other, um, you know, tissue structure that was just released. So yeah, it is very, um, it's very cool to see, but sometimes clients can get a bit like, Oh, like, why is my left shoulder now sore? But you've cleared up my hip. It's like, well, you know, we've just unraveled a structure here right. that's, you know, obviously part of the spiral line, for example. Um, we now need to sort of do a bit more work further up that line to sort yeah. of, um, you know, get some more results, long-term long results. And what do you reckon about, like, when, you, when, we, when we're talking about releasing fascia, like, what, what are your thoughts on what's actually happening there? Like, say say you've noticed there's a restriction in a certain line um, and you use your hands to release it. What, what do you reckon is the go there? Like what is that actual process? Yeah, well, look, you know, obviously when you're talking to a client, it's, um, it's some of the conversations that you're going to have and, and some of the language that you use. Um, you know, some clients will say, oh, yeah, I've, I've, I've got some good release today and that's what they'll tell everyone. But, yeah. you know, as far as I'm concerned and, and from, the, from the literature that I've learned, it's, it's almost like um, changes to the nervous system. So, mm -hmm. you know, neuromodulation, that's kind of, you know, what, what I'm sort of, you know, looking at from a, you know, on a higher level, I suppose. Yeah. Um, you know, you're basically um, creating a nervous system change. You know, it's maybe less protective now um, and it can actually freely move. Um, that's kind of my interpretation of, of what this release technique is or when someone yeah. says, oh, I've, 
I've just um, you know released your fascial you know scars or tissue. Um, it's more it's more of a nervous system input, and you're sort of changes to the nervous system rather than yeah. I've just literally cut through that thick collagenous fascial yeah. <laughs> <that> layer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because there's 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 research around the fact that you'd need, I can't remember exactly how much force it is, but just a ridiculous amount of force to actually structurally change the fascia um, yeah. and, and certain things. So, yeah, and that's pretty much my understanding of it as well. Is I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that goes into it that we still don't fully understand, but that the majority of the effect that you get, like people, people maybe people would be even more familiar with say like a muscle knot and releasing a muscle knot. And so they have this image of like their muscle is actually knotted up and somehow the pressure is unknotted it. Um, but yeah, it seems to be more about how protective the nervous system feels in a certain range of motion and in a certain movement pattern. And if yeah. you can use your hands um, or, or any tool really um, to make, it could be education. It could be, you know, just talking to someone about something and, and anything that makes the brain or the nervous system feel more safe in a, a certain range of motion um, can be a really good tool to then obviously gradually load into that range of motion so that the person actually owns it. Yeah, and you've talked about tools. So, you know, foreign rollers and trigger balls and all that sort of stuff, um, you know, or even, um, you know, the old massage guns, you know. Um, yeah. they're, all, they're all tools that, you know, work really well to, you know, desensitize the system and obviously, um, you know, and some and some people just want to get out of pain and it's, and it, sometimes it can be a bit frustrating because, you know, sometimes that's all they care about. It's like, I just want to be pain-free. Mm. It's like, well, yeah, we can, we can try and get you there, but you've just spent 45 minutes in the garden on Sunday and you couldn't do that last week. So that's a massive change for me. So sometimes yeah. they, they, they don't see the, the greater picture sometimes. Oh man, that's that's huge. Yeah, all the physios I've chatted to, it seems to be the biggest struggle because I think for the longest time, the whole profession and, and the whole healthcare system has been so pain focused and so focused on, we need to get rid of pain. We need to kill pain. Pain is the enemy. Whereas, and so people have built up this perception of pain as this bad thing that has to go away, but rather rather than using it as a as a teacher and a and a and as guidance of what your body is ready for and yeah like you said you know if if someone might have a similar amount of pain but they're much more functional then it's still a big win um and and being able to draw their attention to that is important <laughs> yeah definitely man definitely and um how do how do you find how do you find that goes obviously it depends on the client but um you know it does it takes does tend to take a little bit of convincing to get someone focused on the function um but yeah how how do you, have you got any tr tips or tricks for people out there um well i guess you know like it sort of depends on the individual because like you've obviously got the ones who are really you know asking every question like well why are you doing this um, why doing dry needling? What does dry needling do? Um, why are you cupping? So um, yeah. I guess it depends on the individual. Um, so those that are probably more inquisitive, um, you know, are, are maybe harder to convince that you know what we're doing is going to have have you know changes you know in their function or whatever because they're already probably coming in with a bit of a closed mind or or have an opinion of physiotherapy mm -hmm. as a as a profession. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this is where like sometimes the profession, um, you know can be counterproductive to, you know, some therapists because, you know, some people already come in with a closed mind and they think, oh, well, how are you going to be different to the other six yeah. years I've, I've tried? Yeah. Um, I think it's just important to, um, you know, A, obviously create that rapport, you know, understand the client, you know, listen, um, because if you, if you don't listen to the client and don't actually build that relationship, then, you can't sell anything, <laughs> you know, yeah. you could, you could have the best product, but if they don't believe or don't, you know, get along with you because you're not listening to them or whatever it might be. Um, and I've had clients who've come in like a tornado, you know, they've literally, you know, plonked, you know, 12 scans on my table and said, you, you won't be able to fix me. I've seen <laughs> yeah. every physio in Adelaide. Um, why are you different? And I've just gone, okay, look, let's, uh, let's just take a, take a step back um, and, you know, tell me a bit about your injury or, you know, and let's get to know, you know, what, what your pain experience has been, you know, and, 
and I'll do a detailed injury history and run through you know everything that they've been through um, and they start to realize oh look I've I've been compensating for this right ankle sprain since I was 18 years old and you know that's probably why I'm loading up my left side on my body more um, so I think for me, it's just about educating, um, but also understanding the client. So understanding the client first, um, then actually saying, look, we're going to try these techniques. These are going to do X, Y, and Z. And when they actually get off the table and go through those movements, so that's where obviously um, subjective and objective assessments are really important mm. because you can actually go, hey, when, when we first came in, you could only do this. When you now have you know, obviously had some work done or been through some movement stuff or done some wedge work or whatever it might be you are now able to load this better um, but then hopefully that carries over to you know whatever they're doing whether it's crossfit or just general gym work or you know getting out in the garden or anything like that mm-hmm. so um, i think that's that's my biggest thing is just basically understanding the client um you know and you know um basically getting them to realize that you know, it's uh, and pain is a complex thing too. This is probably one yeah. thing that they got to realize. Pain isn't just like, hey, my soul, my shoulder's sore. It's like, how much sleep did you get last night? Um, what's your nutrition like? Are you stressed mm. at work? Um, are you drinking? Uh, how's your hydration? So, um, I'm always about educating my clients and getting them to realize that you know you've walked into the clinic um, as a as a physiotherapy client to solve your pain. That you're just more than a, a client to me. You are actually. I want to teach you the things that I know and the things that I geek out on um, that not many people probably would do. But um, I get I get to sleep at night because I know that I'm you know giving them as much information as I can um, and then helping them make a change. Yeah, man, that's so huge because you're right. A lot of people do have this view of physiotherapy that it's it's almost like. It's almost like a massage service or that they go in and they just, they just want someone to treat the area that's painful. Um, but then when you actually get into it, yeah, it's, it's all down to the pillars of health and all of these things that influence, yeah, not just our overall health, but our pain um, and our experience of pain. And yeah, the fact that it doesn't always just come down to one you know specific issue in the body that needs to be fixed it's like it's the whole picture and and yeah that sometimes sometimes especially in chronic pain all all of those other things matter a lot more sleep stress nutrition they actually matter a lot more than what's going on from a movement point of view obviously movement is always always important but um, if you only focus on movement then you're going to be missing things in general. Um, and obviously, you know, you need to, we need to stay in, in scope of practice, but something that we're all quite passionate about at TFC is like, yes, we've, we're certain we're we have our own expertise. Like I'm a physio and we've got podiatrists in our community and EPs and movement coaches and so on. Um, and nutritionists and naturopaths, but we all actually need to have that broader view of, what's important otherwise we can just get so focused on okay i'm the movement person uh you know i'm rod from movement theory so i just focus on movement um and that's my scope of practice and then you miss out on all these important things and and that client misses out as well yeah yeah 100 percent, man i and i think having that um you know obviously what you guys are doing is really cool having that multidisciplinary approach and having a team that you know, you can refer out to because everyone's obviously got their own wheelhouse that they sort of specialize mm. in. And I think that's very important as well. And, you know, I think, you know, even with me, like I'll, I'll refer it if I need to, you know, if I think this person needs some uh, mental health care, I'll, I'll refer out to a psychologist or, or a GP that I you know, respect. Um, because yeah, we, we need to sort of, um, yeah, give it's, it's all about the client. I think at the end of the day, it's, it's what's best for the client. And, you know, um, I guess that's how I, that's my philosophy, um, you know, and that, that helps me sleep at night knowing that, you know, I'm doing my best to help that client out as best as yeah. I can. Yeah. And, and you're right. It's, it's about caring. It's about caring <laughs> about the client, not just as a, as a business opportunity. It's interesting with healthcare because health, health is a business these days or, you know, sickness or disease is a business and, yeah. and, you know, we're, People get into healthcare to help people, but then there's obviously business concepts that come into it and can muddy the waters a little bit. But as long as you sort of actually care about someone as a person rather than just as like a number or like a, 
you know, someone who's paying you, um, that can, that, that can actually make, make all the difference. And you actually take the time to listen to them, like you said, and really understand their situation. Um, it makes all the difference to your relationship, which, you know, your, your, um, like therapeutic alliance is the the term they use in the research. And, and that has such a big outcome or such a big influence on the outcome the person actually receives. And, and, you know, there's research around how that is a bigger predictor than like what the, what the actual intervention you do is. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned the business approach because um, I was, I've sort of had this conversation with multiple people over the years. And um, when I first started movement theory, um, my main objective wasn't actually money, as, as funny as it might sound, because I was still working full time when mm. I was building the brand. Mm. So I didn't need money. I was doing this as an extra to you know, see if I could actually develop something right. pretty cool. So I was never money driven. And I think that's very important because my, my KPIs were, can I get this client better as quickly as possible? Mm. Um, and, you know, I know some other um, health facilities rely on KPIs and, you know, as soon as a client walks through the door, it's like, all right, well, let's get you in for 12 sessions um, to yeah. fix this lower back. Whereas I'm like, all right, how quickly can I get you out of here and how quickly will it take me to teach you the tools to then keep you from coming back? Um, and I think, honestly, that's probably um, one of my biggest successes is, you know, clients understand that they're here because I actually want them to get better um, as quickly as possible. Um, and that's how, you know, business comes to me. It's, it's, it's word of mouth. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't deal with private health, you know, providers. I'm not a preferred provider. Um, you know, I'm just here to, to get people better and, and my network on my, uh, my uh, marketing team, I suppose. Um, but I think that's how I wanted to build movement theory from the ground up. And, you know, I didn't want to get too big too quick because, you know, I want to enjoy what I do and have a purpose as well. Yeah. And yeah. And having that genuine, the actual genuine desire is to help people get better quickly and, and to empower them to take better care of themselves so they don't actually need you. And in, in theory, it's like not the best business model because you're trying to put no. yourself out of business. But at the same time, right? there are yeah. so many people <laughs> with issues that if you do genuinely want to do that, then there'll be enough people to go, hey, you should go and see this guy who who actually genuinely doesn't want to just book you in for 12 sessions and just see what happens. He actually cares about you getting better quickly um, or yeah. you getting better, you know, holistically. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which is huge. And yeah. what have you found? I guess with you, I'm interested by your own experience with movement and training and, you know, what, what your background is. Like, obviously you said you played a lot of sports growing up, but I, do you, um, yeah, what's like your, your most, uh, your biggest sort of movement practice or th influences around your own movement practice? Yeah, so I've um, I've obviously yeah played soccer my whole life. Um, I did have a, a season playing AFL football, which is quite interesting. Oh yeah, um, being a soccer <laughs> player, um, definitely uh, ended up with a few injuries there. Um, but yeah, I mean, going going through my soccer career, um, you know, I had recurrent ankle sprains. Mm. Um, me too. Playing footy that one season, um, I had my first hamstring strain, which was pretty pretty interesting, but also cool because I was like, okay, now I've done a hammy, now I know how to rehabilitate, or hopefully I knew how to rehabilitate. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so um, yeah, so playing soccer, a bit of AFL for that one season, but also training. Um, my training's been a bit sporadic over the years, but um, probably over the last probably two or three years, I've I have honed down a little bit more and. I'm sort of in that sort of group training environment. So um, probably starting at CrossFit, um, that's probably where mm. I first started. Um, and look, that's a, that's a great community to be a part of. Um, a lot of passionate individuals about health and well-being, um, you know, and I really had some, you know, I've, I've made some great friends through the CrossFit community um, as much as sometimes it does get bagged. It's like a bit of a cult. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I, I find that, you know, um, it's just, it's a group of like-minded people that love moving and obviously the, they love moving under a bit of load um, <laughs> and, you know, under time, um, which, you know, sometimes lends itself to injury. Um, and I, I've dealt with injury. Um, I think, one of my probably most significant injuries, and, and this is probably one thing that did change uh, my tune a little bit 
um, on A, on CrossFit, but also B, on just my personal um, experience with pain and injury is um, I had this um, neck issue that kind of wouldn't go away. And um, I was getting some referred symptoms down into my thumb and finger. And right. um, this is before I started movement theory. Um, and I went to see uh, a GP. Um, I should have went to see a physio, but I was like a bit worried about, you know, maybe I had, you know, some nerve damage or whatever. Um, and he sent me off to a neurosurgeon. Um, right. Had some had some scans done. Yep, yep. And um, he basically said, look, mate, you've got a, um, a pinched nerve in your C6, I think it was. Um if this cortisone doesn't do anything to clear it up, um, we might have to um, get your disc out and replace the disc. Seriously? And, and I was like, I was like, whoa. Okay, so I've come in with you know a little bit of uh, you know pins and needles in my index and thumb, and I'm walking out maybe getting my disc replaced in my neck. <laughs> so. So, you know, I've obviously told my family, mum's told everyone back home, I'm having spinal surgery. <laughs> um, and I was like, you know, mapping out my dermatones, I'm like, it doesn't relate to C6. Like, this, <laughs> this doesn't relate to that. So I kind, of, I kind of caught the neurosurgeon off guard there a bit and I actually just went and did my own research and, you know, kind of self-diagnosed myself with the help of a few other people around me with some kind of thoracic outlet symptoms. Mm. Um, that actually cleared up over two weeks. Um, just doing some soft, soft tissue work, some moves through my thoracic spine. And yeah, here we are today. I've never had that sort of pins and needles through those two fingers. Uh, surgery free. Yeah, surgery free. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm a massive advocate for, for you know, non-operative approaches. You know, I mm. think a lot of people um, are misdiagnosed like I was, um, you know, and potentially if I hadn't have questioned the why, I might have ended up with a replaced disc in my neck. You know what I mean? Um, it makes so, it does make you wonder how many people have had that exact situation where they they just don't they haven't studied the body like you have. They really don't know what's going on, and yeah, a surgeon tells them, yeah, if this cortisone doesn't work, then we're going to have to operate. And it's like, well, gee, I hope the cortisone works, but yeah, if it doesn't, <laughs> then I guess I guess operating is the only option. And it's it's um. It's a bit scary, really. That that that's the state of it. It is, man. And I think, um, you know, I'm 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 just lucky that I'm, you know, I've I've been through that, you know, because I can, you know, I can honestly honestly say that I rarely refer people off for a scan, um, only if it's required. You know, if they've ruptured an Achilles or an ACL, mm. then mm. you know, there's no real way about that. But um, you know. There's a lot of stuff we can do conservatively, um, and and you know going on from that injury, um, I have had other injuries that have popped up. So lower back strain, um, I remember doing it's probably ten years ago, um, being a bit of a hero in the gym, um, chucked sixty kilos on my back squat, haven't really back squatted before, and felt right. a little pop in my lower back, and um, that sort of hit me like a ton of bricks, and um, you know spent the weekend bedridden. Um, probably consumed a few beers, um, yeah, right. so, so definitely, definitely didn't manage that lower back the way that I, you know, obviously would now. But um, you know, having been through injuries over the years, um, and probably CrossFit um, was probably the last severe injury that I had. Um, I do get the odd, you know, lower back sort of, you know, lets me know flare up doing some hit stuff. But um, my training now is a lot more. Um, focused and controlled I suppose um, you know uh, I'm more around the yoga sort of path mm. uh, I do believe in those sort of movements um, Pilates um, I'm actually started training at a new gym and their focus is a lot on strength stuff um, but it's not sort of um, time under tension it's more you know perfect movement good control mind muscle connection um and yeah for me it's just about moving the body um in the best way that i can find at the moment and um you mm. know i think being around a community is really important um i find it enjoyable um and yeah if, if i do a bit of hit training as well while i'm there um to get the you know heart rate up a little bit um that's kind of where i'm at at the moment but i think it just depends on the uh, on the stage of your life you're at because you know sure. I've, I've played i've played soccer for 20 years and you know running a business and playing soccer probably doesn't really um, fit anymore unfortunately um, until maybe one day you know i've got a few staff and maybe i can take a little bit of a step back but um, yeah. for me it's just about you know 
being around, you know, good movement, uh, good strength. And, you know, I love the stuff that you guys do um, with your bands and stuff. I probably have to get on top of that and maybe um, grab, a, grab, a, grab a kit from you guys soon and start doing some stuff. But Yeah, you know, mate, you'd have fun. Yeah, for me, it's all about um, doing stuff within your own limitations, but just moving the body the best as you can um, because I think um, as a society, we're adapting to our environment, you know. We spend time, you know, driving to work. We'll get to the office, sit in a chair for eight yeah, hours. Yeah. We'll then drive home, probably sit on the couch, watching TV, probably eating dinner at the same time. We spent the whole day sitting. So That's it, um, yeah. we are adapting to our environment. So, um, you know, I'm a big advocate for even just doing, you know, 20, 30 minutes of, of movement or yoga type stuff, you know, every day to sort of keep your body feeling fresh. Mm. Yeah, it, it's it's a good point. And I, there's a few things I'd touch on there and, Obviously, the more I've explored movements and the more I've been coached and, um, yeah, learnt different systems, the more I – you could learn about movement all you wanted, like from an academic point of view, and we obviously did through physio school, but really you can you only know something when you actually experience it, I think, um, especially when it comes to movement. It's such an experiential thing. And then once you actually go through an injury and, you know, do things – treat your own injuries with movement and have that experience, then it can actually make you into a much more confident clinician of going, okay, well, I know that movement is really key here. Um, and I know, I guess, how to progress and regress different movements because I've done, you know, a lot of these things myself. And, and so it's kind of our job as, as physios or as healthcare professionals to be, exploring different things like explore yoga try pilates try strength training try crossfit try um you know obviously everyone's busy and doesn't don't have you don't have you know endless time to try all these things but it's important to at least get exposed to these different methods and not just pigeonhole yourself into uh pilates is the only way and i only do pilates and my clients only do pilates and so on it's sort of you know you need to have that broader perspective on on movement and training i think and i think it's almost like you're you're taking one for the team for your clients you know yeah. like i i think I've, I've tried a lot of different movement modalities i've put myself in a crossfit gym i've put myself doing snatches and jerks and all that sort of stuff and you know for me it's not i don't find it enjoyable but you know i know a lot of my clients do so it's also understanding the movements that i put myself under and going oh that's why you know so and so has some pain you know in their left hip when they do that movement um and i think you know as as you know health professionals and movement specialists i suppose we we should put ourselves out there to 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 move and, and do these things because then we can actually sympathize with our clients as well and and go oh okay we understand why this person is getting pain um, mm. running or whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. And then also, like you talked about, everyone is sort of sitting all the time and, you know, you could you could do an hour, even an hour of exercise a day, even if it was like, you know, half an hour of yoga and half an hour of strength training and even if you chucked in half an hour of Pilates or something in there, but if you were sitting the rest of the day, you'd still probably end up issue with issues and you and you wouldn't be getting anywhere near as much out of the training that you're doing. So it, it is a big part of it is about building mo- more movement into your day and finding ways to either stand or sit on the ground instead of sitting in a chair and, you know, little movement snacks and just just break up all the sitting as much as possible. I mean, it's our society is very set up for it. It's just like everywhere you look, it's just promote sitting pretty much um yeah. but having that awareness and going no this is really not what my body is supposed to be doing and just a, yeah yeah it's huge 100 i'm not sure if you've read the book by um viber cregan reed called primate change um he he talks about no. the the way that we've evolved and how I'll definitely write that one down yeah um primate yeah, so primate prim- change primate as in change. like primate as in primate, yeah, yeah, yeah. As in climate, but play on words. Yeah, climate. I like it. Um, and he talks about that, how, you know, we've just, you know, over the generations, you know, from the Industrial Revolution just evolved into sitting, you know. Yeah. Like we, even even just from kids, you know, we were out running around, 
you know, riding our bikes and all that sort of stuff. And as soon as you turn 18 and get a job, that kind of stops, right? Yeah. Because, you, yeah. you know, you're catching the train to work, you're driving to work. And, um, you know, as a society, that's kind of where we're heading. And it's, it is sad to see, but it's kind of like, what can we do about it? You know, even if we do have an hour of play day, it's probably still not going to do much to resolve the, you know, 16 hours we, we spend sitting. So, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's pretty... It's such a huge societal yeah. issue that hey, it's it's really just down to the individual. Like you, you couldn't say, oh, everyone has to be moving all day every day because it's just not feasible for most people. But it's just you just got to tell people, look, you can't sit all day <laughs> if you want to be healthy long term. You just cannot sit all day, and you, it's up to the. I think you know, it's up to us to give people guidance and and give people tips and tricks, but it really is up to the individual to take responsibility for that and go, okay, I, I need to prioritize this. Otherwise, yeah, it's it, it's too easy to just fall into the habit of just sitting. <laughs> yeah. And look, you know, things like, you know, standing desks and, you know, taking the stairs, you know, up to the office instead of the elevator or, you know, parking three or four blocks away are small things that I tell my clients they could do. But I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you can only do so much, hey, and, and go yeah. encourage as much as you can. And the, those <laughs> those kinds of tips always kind of sound like a bit of a cop out. Like, oh, how much difference is it if I just take the stairs? If I take the stairs versus taking an elevator, and and it's, I think it's important to draw people's attention away from like that one specific moment. Yeah, like you might burn two calories or something from walking up the stairs versus none going up the elevator. But if if you are habitually always looking for a way to move rather than to be static, then it's a that that changes a lot over time. Those that those habits actually do add up to a lot over time. It's, yeah, habit stacking. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, but yeah, one of my favorite tips that I always talk about is just sitting on the ground. Like I'm sitting on the ground currently, which I always do for podcasts. But you know the the chair is actually the main issue, I think, because you're not, you're not going to find someone who sits on the ground for eight hours uh, at once. And it's certainly you're not going to sit on the ground for eight hours in one position. Um, so actually being on the ground is a stimulus to move your body frequently, even if it's just changing position and you, you don't get the luxury. Or, I don't know. You just don't get that ability to have your hips at 90 degrees your hips are either in rotation or in full flexion in a deep squat or you know they're in some kind of different position um but the chair is kind of like halfway between standing and and ground resting and it's not a good not a good halfway to be (laughs) yeah no 100 percent. i mean i think you know and it probably comes down to you know workplaces and you know how how educated the you know OHNS guys are, or whoever whoever manages you know the, the OHNS stuff is, maybe just you know even creating a different environment in in the workplace. But you know how is that going to change? Are they going to put bean bags everywhere, or like you know what's what's yeah. it going to be like? I know I know some places have like mobile stations, but they don't have the same office space every time. But you know how is that going to change, and how will that actually look? You know, um, it's such it's, a it's it's, really... it's a tough thing, hey, because. I feel like everyone's still kind of caught up on the ergonomics side of thing of like, you know, get your perfect desk set up and have your seat at the right height and have your monitor at the right height and get in, in perfect posture. But you could be in that perfect ideal ergonomic position. And if you just stayed like that all day, it would still be terrible for your body because you're not getting, yeah. <laughs> you're not getting any variability, but everyone's oh, like, right. Ooh, you know, set this up perfectly. It's like, we just need, we literally just need more movement. It's, it's not about yeah. being in the perfect posture all the time. It's just how many different postures can you be in comfortably and yeah. How much variability can you get? It's yeah, it's, it needs to be a big shift because I, I know that I've actually been talking to my, um, a physio mate up here about, going into the corporate world a bit more um but they my understanding of it is that corporations want to tick a box in terms of ohns and ergonomics and they they want to you know yeah they they care about their employees safety and well-being and everything but it's mostly about okay have we ticked the ergonomics uh box okay yes but it's like it it needs to go so much deeper but it'll take a lot of education (laughs) yeah yeah that's it yeah and um, a bit more 
How often do you work with feet? Because obviously, you know, a big reason why we connected was through your interest in feet. And obviously, Gary Ward stuff um, is uh, has a large focus on the feet. Um, I'm interested. I always love hearing about... Like, a big part of my experience as a physio was working mostly manual therapy based, but, uh, with a whole body assessment where we would find, often we would find things like someone's shoulder pain was being the main issue was their calf. And so that it ties in pretty well with the fascial lines and everything. But what have you found with like the foot connection with other body parts? Have you found like obviously knees and, and lower backs and, and things like that can be affected by the foot. Um, but what maybe some of some sort of not case studies, but some examples of what you found with feet and working with, you know, the fascial lines through the feet and everything. Yeah, definitely. So um, I pretty much look at everyone's feet on, on, on first assessment. Yep, so nice. um, some of my clients probably think I've got a bit of a foot fetish, but <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just, it's just where I start, you know, it's where my eyes always go, you know, what's your toe splay like, you know, how your arch is holding up yeah. um, and, and sort of seeing, you know, how the foot presents, you know, in a, in a static sense as well, but also, you know, seeing how much movement do they have in the feet? So how are those bones articulating? So um, I might do some assessment using some wedges um, to seeing, you know, how much pronation and supination that person actually has um, and seeing if they actually can get into those positions and load up the tissues, obviously, depending on the, the, the gates, um, the part of the gait cycle that we're trying to work on as well. Um, but I'll do a lot of um, fascia work through the feet. Um, my clients love it. Um, and it's, it's almost like instant relief, um, for, for a lot of people that come in with, with calf, knee, hip issues. Yeah. Um, because you know, where, you know, if you're familiar with the joint by joint approach of the body, um, you know, ankles need to be flexible and mobile, um, hips need to be stable, uh, sorry, knees need to be stable, um, hips need to be mobile. You know, if we can improve that mobility at the ankle, then it means that the knee can actually do its thing and actually be a stable joint. Um, so, you know, giving that, giving people that freedom through their feet, um, has sorted out lots of things. Um, probably the, probably the one, the crazy one that I've, um, come across was, um, an older, older client came in with some, some neck pain and, um, yeah, looking at his feet was really stiff. Um, always had tight calves, he said, but more on one side. So I think his right calf was tighter than the other. Um, so just doing some fascia work through his right foot, um, getting him to pronate and supinate a bit better and also doing a bit of work through his calf actually cleared up his neck pain, yeah. um, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, yeah. And that was obviously one of the, the great buy-ins of you know, the fascia work and, and understanding how these fascial lines work. Um, but um, that does stick out in one of my minds that that was one of the you know, big like, oh shit, this, this stuff actually works. Um, you know, I'm not just sort of selling something that, you know, is, is sort of voodoo stuff. Um, but you know, it's, it's more than that. I've had so much, um, so much, uh, great outcomes from just working the feet. Um, you know, people feel lighter, um, you know, easier with movement. And these are the sort of things that people come and tell me, um, which I think the feet are so well, uh, misunderstood sometimes, you know, mm. um, as you know, you know, um, you know, some, some of the podiatry world, are, you know, big on orthotics, um, you know, people are asked to probably, um, not, not on that same wavelength. Um, I think they do have a place, you know, if you're rehabilitating yeah. someone, um, maybe short term, we can, you know, provide like a soft, a soft orthotic or something like that. Um, but for me, it's about getting people on the right footwear. Um, obviously I'm a, Big advocate for Vivo Barefoot. Um, mm. Slight plug there for the show. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm you know I've I've wore Vivo Barefoot shoes for almost four years. Um, you know um, I got my brother, my younger brother, into Vivo Barefoots, um, even though he probably doesn't wear them as often as he should. <laughs> um, I got a good mate of mine, Steve, into them, and he wears them to work every day, and he loves them. Um, he's had some hip issues for for a lot of his life, but same thing, being at a desk, you know, twenty four seven. Um, you know, hips and ankles lock up pretty well. So, um, you know, I'm I'm a massive advocate for footwear because it's the environment we place our feet in. Yeah. Um, you know, if you know, if we were able to walk around barefoot, I think you know you would see a lot less issues um, with you know with with the whole body. I think not just you know knees and hips. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. It's interesting that I think it's it's really valuable to be able to show someone that 
you're, you know, like in that instance with that client that you just said, where releasing um, the foot and the ankle really helped his neck pain. And then it's probably an easier sell from there to go, look, you really need to look after your feet and strengthen and mobilize your feet. And so your footwear is really not helping you here. Um, and or, or the best thing you can do for that is change your footwear as opposed to, you know, otherwise it could be a bit abstract, like, oh, yeah, you've got neck pain, change your footwear. It's like, no, 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 I've got neck pain. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I think, I think that's a really helpful thing. And then for anyone listening, just to take that lesson that regardless of what issue you're experiencing, you know, changing your footwear might not be the answer to whatever issue you're experiencing, but it is important for the whole body, what your foot does. Um, and your footwear is, is the main environment of your feet and the main environment of your feet is going to have the biggest influence on their health basically. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, totally agree. And and so do you do you have you got it set up where you're um like fitting people with vivos and stuff as well, or are you just recommending them to Yeah, so I've got a size run here. So um yeah. I've got a few different styles that clients can sort of try on. Um and yeah, that way they can sort of see what their sizing is like. Um and then they can order straight through me. Um I'll give them, you know, my clients a, a generous discount. And, um, you know, obviously everyone's happy with, with the footwear. Um, but um, it's, it's pretty easy. So once they try them on and it's like, oh, wow, like why? Yeah. Why, why haven't I put myself in these shoes, you know, before? And it's like, it's just, yeah. I mean, I wear them every day as well. So, you know, it's probably an easy sell for them. So, oh, shit, Rod wears them every day. But, um, you know. I think that's they, the big thing. If, if you're recommending something, it's important that you're actually, you actually use it and believe in it. And yeah, if, and I think it's a good conversation starter as well. Cause if, if someone sees your shoes, they're like, Oh, that, those shoes look different. Um, you know, what's the go with those. And then you can sort of, you can get into it. I, I think a, some people can be a, a bit resistant to that at first of like, no, my shoes are fine. I paid $200. I paid, you know, good money for these shoes and they've got the arch support and everyone's kind of sold on this support and comfort and, you know, control thing with shoes. But usually, you know, usually it, it doesn't take much uh, explanation for them to go, oh, actually, yeah, true. That doesn't make as much sense as just, you know, letting the foot be a foot. But people do have to be ready for that, I think, or they have to be a little bit interested maybe. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, they can one of the things. Yeah, one of the things that I say is like, well, look, we weren't born with a pair of kicks on. Like we don't, we don't come out the womb with a pair so of Jordans simple. on. So <laughs> it's like, you know, where is this sort of desire to wear shoes come from? And it's obviously, you know, industrial revolution and, you know, fashion obviously is, is massive, you know, and, and I was a massive sneakerhead. Like I, you know, yeah, had Yeezys right. and Ultra Boosts and you name it and probably spent way too much on shoes. And I've still got, I've still got the odd pair here and there, but I don't use them, mate, because I, every time I wear them, my knees hurt, my hips hurt, you know, it's just, you know, until you feel good in wearing shoes, you just don't want to wear anything else. Yeah, you get you get very sensitive to poor poor shoes, like to yeah, tight and restrictive and narrow and heeled shoes. Like I, I remember, it was a while back, uh, I guess a few years ago now. Um, but I'd I'd been I'd been around the barefoot shoe stuff for ages, probably since yeah, since uni. So it's been about six seven years. Um, but then really made it like the full switch to only wearing barefoot shoes yeah maybe four years ago um and then a year later or something I started uh, I was going on a date and I was like oh I've got these you know I wanted to look a little fancier and I put on these <laughs> heeled tight restrictive dress shoes and with, literally within like 20 minutes I was like huh I've got this weird feeling in my neck like a weird almost headachey tight feeling in the back of my neck and I was like I've ne I never feel this and it's literally 20 minutes after putting on these shoes and I was like yeah okay that's a good <laughs> um you just become <laughs> ultra sensitive to it which is I don't know I don't know if it's it's kind of good because then you just don't wear those shoes but it's kind of bad not bad but it's like oh well you know if you if, if you want to do it if you if you have to or want to wear the shoes then um it's a problem but now i just have vivo barefoot leather dress shoes so i don't have to yeah. i don't have to make the oh. sacrifice 
I was about to say, you know, their, their range is so, you know, so diverse now. Like yeah. every every shoot, every shoe that comes out, you're like, oh, that's a sick, you know, that's a, you know, yeah. even like the hiking boots they've got, they you'd, you'd rock them with jeans and no problem. And people, yeah, yeah, oh, these are sick, you know. Yeah, I think it's really important for people to have the styles that they want available, because otherwise, because it's all well and good to say, oh, you have to wear barefoot shoes and if someone looks at them and goes oh i hate the look of that then they're never going to wear them even if they buy them even if you like convince them to buy them they and they hate the look then it's like oh it's not gonna not gonna really work but if they like how they feel and they're okay at least with how they look then you've got a winner but That's yeah it. it's good that there's so many brands out there now sort of making lots of different styles and yeah there's there's really no excuse not to have barefoot shoes really <laughs> no that's it <laughs> Cool, mate. Well, we've come up on time. It's time flies when you're having fun, but um, we'll, yeah. we'll we'll wrap this one up here, and then I reckon we should dive even deeper into some things. Uh, maybe next time I'm down in Adelaide, we can catch up and um, have a have an in person podcast and get the mics out, and and uh, I'm sure we could talk for at least another hour or so about lots of different stuff to do with physio. But um, yeah, I appreciate the time and you coming uh, coming on. And um, I am looking forward to connecting in person finally. Sounds good, man. No, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on here and, and chew the fat. Um, yeah, it's, it's good to have like-minded people in the industry as well. Oh, um, it's so, it's yeah. so important. And that, that's a big part of why we wanted to do this podcast is to, I guess, put the spotlight on people that are taking this more holistic and active, empowering approach um, and also to yeah connect people with those ideas and and to make it more obvious that there is a, there are a lot of people on this wavelength now it's there's still a lot of work to do but there are a lot of people who share this very similar um philosophy when it comes to treatment and movement and and the body and yeah it's it's where where we've got we're going to be stronger in numbers basically <laughs> safety in numbers or yeah. would be yeah the power of the power of that community of people who are going yes there's other people oh he's saying what i'm thinking and so on so yeah no it's great um but yeah cool well we'll uh i think we'll be i don't know when we'll release this podcast but yeah we'll be hoping to be down in adelaide um again probably early next year so we'll we'll have to keep in touch up until then and then we'll get another potty going sounds good man good channel thanks mate thanks for listening guys Take care, mate.